Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am, but Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Anheuser-Busch is indeed totally woke and it's worse than you thought. We've got more information on the Allen, Texas shooter, allegedly, sort of, kind of. Corinne Jean-Pierre tells us to pay our bills. And Pat has an experience at the airport. All of that coming your way on today's edition of Critical Thinking. Welcome on in to Critical Thinking. I'm Andrew Coppins flying solo this week. It is a truth or fiction Tuesday. Folks, you have the ability to help us formulate and form Truth or Fiction Tuesday every single week. You can go to my Twitter at The Coppins Show, interact there. I have it pinned um, at the top of my profile. Um, so you could have participated, but you chose not to in this edition, and that's fine. Um, But Pat was able to chime in, so we've got a bunch of truth or fictions to get to. So much is happening in this world that I cannot possibly cover it all by myself, nor could Pat and I cover it. That's how much is going on. So I'm just going to say this because there are going to be some topics that are not going to be covered in the actual truth or fiction segments here on the show. So... I'm just going to say this when it comes to the information or alleged information or whatever you want to say about this situation and the the horrific shooting that claimed the lives of way too many people in Allen, Texas this past weekend. Is it good or bad that we are so jaded that we are questioning everything that we're seeing about the Allen, Texas shooter? Is it good or bad? Is it possible that there's a Hispanic, non-white, neo-Nazi out there? Absolutely. Just look at where the original Nazis in the 1940s fled to. They didn't flee to Eastern Europe. They didn't flee to Northern Africa. They didn't flee to America, by and large, although some ended up getting here. But the vast, vast, vast majority of them fled to South America, 
Why? Because they were strange bedfellows, insomuch as they were abundantly socialist in nature. They, they shared that commonality between them, and they believed that that power could help them, and that commonality could help them continue on, by the way, into a Fourth Reich. That was the belief of the Nazi party and the Nazis that were still around in the late in in the you know late stages of World War II as they fled their way out of Europe. That's a reality. These are documented facts. These are not speculative facts. These are hard and fast documented facts. Argentina, Brazil, uh, Peru, uh, Paraguay, a lot of these areas that had turned wholly socialist in uh, during and before and after World War II, harbored these individuals in the open. Now, that's a big leap going from harboring fellow socialists and their fellow travelers, if you will, in socialism, and suddenly becoming like-minded, bigoted, neo-Nazis in which somehow the Nazi ideology now incorporates Hispanics as people that are somehow worthy of, of living and part of the Aryan Brotherhood. That's what the Nazis believed. So whatever you believe on this situation, all I have to say on it is be skeptical. And I'm okay with the skepticism but do not go down conspiratorial rabbit holes. Look for facts. Find real information. The problem with that is that we could see something exist on the web. We could see somebody have a Facebook page. We could see all of these things. We could see a quote-unquote manifesto. We could see all of that. And we still don't know whether that's the actual truth or not. I think it is good that we are questioning what we see come out in the media and the narrative, I think that is a positive because they have not earned any trust. They have burned any bridge of trust with the American people throughout COVID, throughout all these other stories that have been proven to be wholly inaccurate. Okay, so that's what I'm going to say on that. And then I have Corinne Jean-Pierre. We know the clip. You've probably all seen it, and if you haven't, I'm going to be playing it tomorrow on WTF Wednesday. But I wanted to get out in front of this because Corinne Jean-Pierre got in front of the podium at the White House and lectured the American people about consequences if they don't choose to pay their, um, their car note or their mortgage or insurance bills, okay? You have to – we all know that there are consequences for doing that, right, for not – participating in in all of those things, right? So you, you don't pay your bills, there are going to be consequences. Your credit's going to go down, da 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 Except for, wait a minute. So, so you're telling us that we're responsible for our bills, except for those few that the government now want to take on. Like, I don't know, your um, student loan debt, which nobody put a gun to your head and told you, take it out. Nobody told you, you have to go to college, and if they did, they're full of absolute malarkey, and you shouldn't have listened to them. And then, by the way, don't pay it back. Don't, no, 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 no. Don't pay it back. We just forced you to do, no. 
Ask yourself critical questions. Ask yourself also why Corinne Jean-Pierre would get up in front of the American public at the White House podium and talk about ownership of your debt and talk about paying your bills. And there are going to be consequences if you don't pay your bills. And then advocate for you not paying what you owe back to us, the taxpayer, who fronted you the money to have your fun at college. Ask yourself, what is the real point of that position if she is up there lecturing you on all of these things? What is the point of that position? Ask yourself those critical questions. Frankly, I don't think you're going to like the answers that you find. And I don't think you're going to like them for your freedom. And we're going to talk about that here on a Truth or Fiction Tuesday here on the program. So let us dive right into the very first Truth or Fiction uh, statement. This is actually going to come from myself. So my question to myself is, Truth or Fiction, Anheuser-Busch will not exist as a brand or company in five years. And I wonder this on multiple fronts because there are certain brands in certain companies in America that if you would have told somebody in the 1920s wouldn't exist today, just a hundred years later, they would have told you you were nuts. Montgomery Ward. Um, you know, we could go down the list of these retail companies that no longer Sears, Sears and Roebuck, Sears, Roebuck and company, right? Um, you know, JCPenney is hanging on by a thin thread. But you could go down a list of some of the most powerful companies in the, you know, 1920s, and you would see a who's who of who doesn't exist almost here today, just 100 years later. And we have this idea that companies like Anheuser-Busch, Coca-Cola, Pepsi, um, there are very few of these types of brands and companies that seem to be untouchable, and it's unthinkable that they wouldn't exist. But what we do know about the history of capitalism and business here in the United States of America, if you take a look at its totality from around you know the, the 1830s and, and moving forward, is that brands who get too big for their britches or brands that um, produce images that are antithetical to what they're actually about and their products are tied to that brand image, and that brand image is broken, are not long for this world. The only question I have is to whether or not this statement would be true is the five-year mark. But I'm going to go with truth on this, and here's why. One of two things is going to happen. Either this company reverses ship, writes its ship in terms of the quote-unquote values, and we're going to get into this because Michael Knowles dug deep into this subject, and I think it's worthy of us going deep into as well. So on the one hand, I believe that 
they have shattered their brand image as Americana, as a brand and a company that stands up for just basic American values, you know, red, white, blue, uh, wrap yourself in the 4th of July and the flag and, and all of that sort of stuff. They have so shattered that image that it is going to do irreparable harm, not just to its brand image, but to its ability to function on the same level that it once was. And it is going to hurt the conglomerate that actually owns Anheuser-Busch right now, which is AB InBev, which is actually located in Europe. That's right. The American Americana brand is owned by a company in Belgium. And that's fine because we do know that Anheuser-Busch has kind of siloed its own business to an extent. But the, the first clue that this is a problem for Anheuser-Busch existing is that over the course of a month here, we have watched them go from being the steadiest of brands in the world of alcoholic beverages in a moment in which craft beer is still gaining market share and they're losing market share, okay? In a world in which that is, those two things are still true. It is the largest, but it is losing share. It is not gaining market share. It lost 26% of whatever market share and, and volume it was doing. And that has been sustained over the course of the month. We have watched people at various events stop drinking Bud Light or Budweiser. Budweiser has been less hit than Bud Light, but it is, still has been hit. Okay, so we've seen that. We have seen, um, you know, what took place at Fenway Park where the line for non uh, Anheuser-Busch products, long as long could be, nobody at the counter where all of the the bottles and the, the bigger cans of Budweiser and Bud Light are. So we see people continuing to do this, and that's hitting them in the pocketbook. They've lost, I think, something like half of a percent of their value over the course of the last month. But on top of it, we watched Anheuser-Busch take a quote-unquote step back from that Dylan Mulvaney situation and take off the, the crowd that they were trying to promote to the point where multiple groups, multiple bars, multiple of the gay bars here in Chicago and other areas, because Chicago has kind of led that movement, if you will, they have refused to stock, to sell, Anheuser-Busch and Goose Island, which is a, a Chicago brand that AB InBev owns, but um, is kind of siloed off just like Budweiser is. They have refused to serve their products in their bars. And like I said, that is their right. They can do that all they want. But both sides of the equation are mad at you. And both sides of the equation are doing boycotts against you. That, that's a problem. That is an absolute problem for its bottom line. 
And I don't know how you get out of that alive as a company. They have painted they painted themselves into a corner by whatever, if it was a one-off image uh, sponsored post or whatever it is, it was still marketing. It was still a decision that you undertook as a company to go ahead and associate directly with Dylan Mulvaney and his year of being a girl, not a woman, a girl, which means he's looking at trying to be a six-year-old, by the way, which is the words that he used in this entire process. Words matter. He could have said year of being a woman, but he chose to be a girl. That would pretend you know, towards, I don't know, some sort of a real big mental issue, just saying. So they've already painted themselves into a corner and then tried to backtrack themselves out of that corner, except for you ticked off the people that you were attempting to attract, and therefore you have got a big issue on your hands. So that's the first part of this problem. But secondly, this is this whole Dylan Mulvaney situation and their disavowing of it or backing away from it or however you want to interpret the response that um, the CEO of Anheuser-Busch put out there, however you want to interpret it, the reality of the situation is that they were attempting to pull the wool over the eyes of not the LGBTQ, LMNOP, alphabet soup community. That's not what they were doing here. They were not attempting to appease anything. They were attempting to get back, right, that market share that they were losing from the other side of the situation. But that statement in and of itself was antithetical to the real values of the company. In fact, they should have not backed away. And hear me out on this. They should have not backed away from that sponsored post. They should have not backed away from it because that would have been literally putting money where their mouth is. And Michael Knowles um, did a really good job of breaking this down for you. And I want you to understand this company is as deep as it gets into the wokeness. All right. And Michael Knowles pointed this out on Twitter. Tranheiser Bush is still scrambling. And by the way, that's such a great line. But anyway, Tranheiser Bush is still scrambling over the Mulvaney beer can as sales continue to tank. But it's caught between a rock of customers and a hard place called GARM, a WEF, so World Economic Forum, backed operation, which was subpoenaed Friday by at Jim underscore Jordan. So Jim Jordan, the House Judiciary uh, Committee chair. Here is why. They are caught between the rock of their customers in a hard place called Garm. All right, so I'm going to tell you this. If you are listening via podcast, you might want to actually watch today's program over at rumble.com backslash critical thinking. Again, rumble.com backslash critical thinking. That is our Rumble channel. Go there. You're going to want to see some of these visual aids because Michael Knowles didn't just think this. He came with some receipts. He did some really big research on this project. And we further find out that, um, 
you know, obviously that Budweiser claims to be a beer rooted in the heart of America. And as I noted back in 2008, they actually were kind of bought out and put together with AB InBev with InBev, which is a European based company. Okay. So that means the fixture of American culture is actually in European rivals hands. And that's from the New York Times in 2008, by the way. Now it is beholden to the World Economic Forum, UN, and the EU. And here is part and parcel of this discussion. As Michael Knowles notes, one might think that Bud Light could just apologize and admit that men aren't women. But no matter how much Bud Light and parent company AB InBev might wish to rein in the radicalism, they cannot abandon the agenda. They are mired in the World Economic Forum slash ESG gobbledygook. And I'm about to showcase to you exactly what Michael Knowles is talking about. Because this is directly, and again, watch us on Rumble, but this is directly from their own internal documents, okay? This is Vero Prokis, Corporate Affairs Specialist at AB InBev. Quote, we continuously work to integrate diversity and inclusion into our business strategy and help ensure it touches upon all functions, including sales, supply chain, marketing, and others. I am particularly excited about the growth are excited by the growth of our employee resource groups where our colleagues have opportunities and space to voice change. Again, folks, I emphasize something for you. I emphasized marketing. DEI, diversity, inclusion, equity. This is a purposeful part of whom AB InBev has become. Their support of the Dylan Mulvaney-sponsored post is in line with their values. And this is why, actually, I think if you're the LGBTQ, Elemental P, Alphabet Soup crowd, you actually have way more right to be pissed about Budweiser and Bud Light's response to that uh, post than anybody has to the other side, which is uh, Americana, because AB InBev, if you paid attention to the brand that you're interacting with, was selling you a bill of goods while all along doing this. You had the opportunity to understand this. Meanwhile, on the flip side, right, for the for the other side, for the people that are pissed about the Dylan Mulvaney backtracking, they have every right because they've been since probably about 2018 literally throwing all of this at them telling them that they, they, they're champions of all of these different causes and blah, 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 blah. And then when it comes time to put your money where your mouth is, they don't. They backtrack because, oh, crap, the other 75% of the, the population that consumes our product is pissed. And about 50% of them are saying, yeah, no, I am not going to buy, I am not going to drink your product ever again. They catered to that instead of saying, yeah, no, these are our actual values and screw the rest of you. I would actually, I would actually give AB InBev credit for that stance because it is in keeping with whom they have become. 
They have turned their backs on the normies, if you want to call them that. They have turned their backs on the Americana, middle of the road, we're staying out of it, uh, you know, image and and frankly, their actual um their actual value system from the past. They have turned the corner. That's who they are. But Knowles is not done with bringing the receipts, folks. Because Michael Knowles notices also that uh, inside the actual documents from AB InBev, they proudly state that we have introduced inclusive benefits such as gender-affirming medical support for transgender colleagues in the U.S. and Canada and financial and legal support for name changes for colleagues in Brazil and Colombia. And then they tell us exactly what they mean by diversity and inclusion. Diversity is about differences. Each of us is different. And at AB InBev, we value and respect individual differences, except for when those differences are um, when you actually want to act out your biblical values and your religious values in your everyday life. You can't do that at, at the workplace. But anyway. They continue saying AB InBev takes the widest possible view of diversity to include attributes such as age, gender, gender identity and expression, sexual orientation, language, ethnicity, nationality, family and marital statuses, religion and uh, belief, social and economic background, veteran status, education, experience, disability and any other characteristics that make our colleagues unique. They are telling you to your face, exactly what they believe, folks. They are telling you to your face that they believe in gender and gender expression, which is, by the way, antithetical to a whole bunch of different things. But, but, folks, they're not done, as Knowles notes in this. Lest you think that they just are putting these statements out. This is all about the equitable future, okay? So Knowles is telling us in this whole idea of an equitable future that AB InBev not only indoctrinates all their managers with unconscious bias training, it also insists that external suppliers submit to the pro-trans diversity agenda too. And he notes and underscores this. Additionally, all managers receive unconscious bias training. And then in the empowering diverse suppliers, they note that um, in our middle America, in our middle America's zone, we worked with the AB InBev Foundation and we connect to prepare 40 women suppliers to join our online supplier base. Okay and trained our buyers and suppliers on our D&I supplier strategy. In Europe, the European Diversity Awards recognize our supplier diversity efforts as the European Supplier Diversity Program of the Year. Folks, is this a company that believes in traditional values? Is this a company that believes in middle America? In Americana, is this a company that believes that or have they steeped themselves in this? Which which version of this company is real? One of these two things is not like the other. One of these two things, okay, hear me out on this. One of these two things is totally wrong. Totally wrong. 
Knowles continues to tell us that some of AB InBev's other subsidiaries even go further than Bud Light does, funding quote-unquote family-forming benefits, cover things like um, men um, buying women's eggs for a child that they want to quote-unquote have, but they can't biologically do so because two dudes is biologically impossible to have a kid. Um, renting the womb of a mother to implant that, by the way, that child, and then intentionally depriving of their natural mother, by the way, too. Um, so all of that is is honky-dory with them. Also, inside their own diversity and inclusion strategy, okay, under the goals of this, our brand our brands and value chain are agents of change in driving diversity and inclusion. The community side of things says that our company is recognized as a champion of diversity and inclusion. That is a goal. That is what they are attempting to do as a company. They have bought in, but they have bought in not because this is their value system. Okay. We mentioned the acronym GARM before. Okay. What the hell is GARM? GARM stands for the Global Alliance for Responsible Media, which is a cross-industry initiative, i.e., according to Michael Knowles, an agreement of the world's largest and most powerful advertisers and platforms. But it is a cross-industry initiative to do what? To demonetize what they consider to be quote-unquote harmful content. To achieve this, Lib-captured companies such as AB InBev and big tech platforms like YouTube and TikTok have created standards that limit or demonetize content that contains quote-unquote hate speech about gender identity, quote-unquote insensitive treatment of debated social issues and misinformation. And this is a real thing, but where, where is GARM coming from? Well, <clears throat> The misinformation piece of this, of course, is in the wake of COVID-19 and how dare you, oops, talk about that. But it is so powerful, GARM, this, this cross-sectional alliance, okay, that it controls so, so much of the advertising money, like that of Bud Light, that literally YouTube, Meta, which owns Facebook and Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Snapchat, and others are writing ages of reports about how they will run their platforms to the satisfaction of GARM standards. GARM has created a standard in which they would like um, the, the platforms that they would advertise on to, to do it. So they are now going to dictate to other companies how they must put, uh, handle their platforms in order for them to get the advertising dollars of massive companies. We are not just talking about AB InBev. We are talking about some of the biggest names in global business, folks. But Michael Knowles points this out. What could we make this enormous team of woke, what could make this enormous team of woke corporations even worse? Klaus Schwab in the World Economic Forum, who swallowed up GARM as a quote-unquote flagship project under their platform for shaping the future of media, entertainment, and sport. The future of media, entertainment, and sport. So this is how deep into the woods and how deeply involved 
AB InBev is as a company. This is their current culture. This is who they are. They are lying to both sets. In other words, both sets of, of quote unquote customers. On the one hand, they are attempting to project that image of Americana to the Americans to consume the ever-loving crap out of Bud Light and Budweiser, right? The Clydesdales, the the commercials around Christmas and and the cozy images of Americana that Budweiser presents to us. And then Bud Light and and its quote-unquote fratty image and all this other stuff, right? But that's not really who this company is. And they're attempting to live their values out and they smacked you in the face with it and you didn't like it and suddenly, oh crap. So they're equally pissing off both sides of the equation here. And that's why I think this statement, again, that AB uh, Anheuser-Busch will not exist as a brand or a company. The, the, these brands will not exist in five years time. They won't. Because you have so ticked off both sides with your in or disingenuous response to what was a jarring but kind of rather innocuous situation that you marketed to. It was the first time that Americans, by and large, saw you literally throwing transgenderism in their face. So I hope you understand the, the rock in a hard place that they put themselves in and they managed to not split the baby. They managed to literally close themselves off from both sides of the equation. If they were to just, like I said before, if they were to just literally say, this is the road we're going down and we are no longer the brand of Americana, I would actually respect that because, okay, you are actually attempting to market to the values that you attempt to tell us that you're living out. So either the quote-unquote value propositions and all of the quote-unquote people efforts that you have made are utter trash and you don't believe them, or you do believe them and your marketing is utter trash and you are attempting to pull the wool over the eyes of the vast majority of your customers. Either way, you are a terrible brand, you are a terrible people, and your company deserves to go down the drain. It deserves to go into the bucket in the bin of Sears, Roebuck, and Company. It deserves to be in the bin of Montgomery Ward and all sorts of brands that had such strong images for years and years and years and years for 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, in some cases, 100 plus years, and then went the way of the dodo bird, both because of economic conditions and because of their refusal to understand the marketplace. You have made your bed. It's time for you to lie in it. All right. So with that being said, I think it is a great time for us to move forward. Why don't we go ahead and take a look at the first submission on truth or fiction from Mr. Pat Oni. Mr. Pat Oni, his truth or fiction statement is Biden possibly losing votes in the black community doesn't matter right now. Hmm. Okay. So I think I know what this is in reference to if I am looking at all of this correctly. Um, let me go ahead and just take a quick look at this for you. Um, I believe this is in reference to a uh, Fox News report that says Biden is bleeding support with black voters as 2024. 
Uh, just 55% of the black vote wants him to actually uh, come on board for the 2024 election. Look, he's already said that he's going to run, but 55% said they'd likely support his candidacy. What do we know about when it comes time to actually vote, though? And this is why I believe Pat is Pat's statement is truth. Because when it comes time to vote, are they just going to line up? Probably. They've been doing that forever. The variable that exists here is, number one, do they trust that Biden has actually done anything for them? And the second variable is, how does the GOP market and um, speak to issues of economic ladder climbing, if you will? Um, I, I think there's opportunity there. I don't believe that Donald Trump is one that can be trusted to bring that in because he has seen his support decline and decline and decline and decline um, over the last couple of years. Um, but I, I just I don't believe for a second that he's actually losing support. I believe that that community would like somebody else to speak to their values. So unless the team GOP has some sort of strategy to siphon off 10, maybe 15% of support in the black community, and they can, they continue to win inside the uh, Hispanic community um, like they have been, or at least siphoning off further and further support from the Democratic Party, unless that actually happens, I don't think any of the, well, we would like somebody else to run matters when it comes to actually pulling a lever or, you know, filling in a dot or filling in the, the line or, or hitting the button, however you guys vote, wherever you are. I just don't believe that to be the case. All right, so let's continue on moving forward because we've got way more truth or fiction coming your way. And I'm going to go with my second truth or fiction statement. And that statement is E-Verify has become a tool that government can abuse. Thus, we should oppose it. Where is this coming from? Well, it is a discussion that is happening within um, the legislative bodies of this country. We, Our legislative bodies are taking up E-Verify again. This has never actually passed, by the way. And I'm thinking about this. Because what is E-Verify? It is supposed to be a national way, a way in which uh, we can identify the citizenship and the status correctly of somebody attempting to get a job here in the United States of America. To do what? To prevent the stealing of social security numbers, to roundabout that process, to really have good verification of the eligibility of people to work here in the United States. Thus, to do what? Well, many for many years, Team GOP has told us that E-Verify is the panacea of if, if we build it, they will go away, meaning the illegal immigrants, meaning the people who are, quote-unquote, stealing your jobs, whatever BS that is. But uh, the, the GOP has long supported, along with the Chamber of Commerce, along with many other business organizations, have supported E-Verify. I, on the other hand, believe what Thomas Massey had to say. 
I believe that E-Verify, as we look at it, as it is written up in its legislative form, is an absolute Trojan horse to the worst despotism that we could ever think of in this country. And that is control over how you work, when you work, where you work. And oh, by the way, your ability to deposit money and to use your own money. Huh? What are you talking about? Well, Thomas Massey has a little bit of a breakdown for us. And again, go over to rumble.com backslash critical thinking to take a look at this. But Thomas Massey noted, even heaven forbid, uh, excuse me, if heaven forbid the United States government ever adopts a social credit score, national e-verify is one more tool they could use to prevent honest people from being part of society. Believe what you will, but it will have little impact on illegal immigration into this country. And I happen to absolutely agree with this. And here's why. Because our current immigration system has to be fixed, root and branch, okay? National E-Verify is putting a Band-Aid on a, you know, dike. It is literally putting a Band-Aid on a hole in the in the levee, if you will. Hole, there's a hole in the Hoover Dam, and we're just going to put a Band-Aid on it. How's that going to work out for you? People always will find ways around the things that you're attempting to play whack-a-mole with. And I know this from my own professional experience. I also am wary of this old adage because I also, I'm wary of going down this road of that E-Verify is totally illegitimate um, as it's written because I, I also believe that we cannot You know, the old adage, do not let the perfect be the enemy of the good. And this is the the area in which, as you read the legislation, maybe, just maybe, this isn't all that good. This goes for your budgeting. This goes for your single piece of legislation. This goes for all of that sort of stuff in government, right? Do not let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Yeah, that means that there are going to be compromises. There are going to be things that are not totally to your liking, but maybe to the other side's liking. Have you gotten what you want out of this? And is it a good piece of legislation? And Thomas Massey points this out, noting that National E-Verify bill contains vague references to two pilot programs of non-photographic technology that you must use to prove your identity to DHS in order to get a job. What is it? Fingerprints. DNA, retina, why not just say it in the bill? Is E-Verify actually Patriot Act 2.0? I think those are legitimate questions that Thomas Massey is asking. But he's not done asking those legitimate questions. As he points out further, if E-Verify, the background check system, is twice as accurate as NICS, which is our, our current background check system, Mandating it federally will cause grave problems for tens of thousands of honest Americans. NICS results in roughly 100,000 false denials each year, with only 12 federal prosecutions. And this is Massey's point. What is the actual, what is the actual 
teeth behind E-Verify? Are we literally going to be sending every business owner to jail? Are we going to shut businesses down? Are we going to revoke licenses? This, that, and the other thing. Are we going to go and then deport those individuals who have defrauded the system? 100,000 people are defrauding the system every year currently, and that's just whom they can catch in the whack-a-mole system that exists. And only 12 of those 100,000 have any sort of actual consequences to them? This is the point. If we're going to go after a newer background employment check system, that employment check system has to solve the current problem. Does this do that? And more importantly, does it also take a look at our own American liberties? But I don't know. He continues on, though, saying, uh, I hear people see, say E-Verify will be so effective at denying employment to illegals that millions of them will self-deport. For E-Verify to work that well would require biometric proof of identity for every American and a cashless society. Is that what you want for your children? Is Thomas Massey correct? That's the ultimate question in this truth or fiction. I happen to believe that he is correct. It requires, again, that carrot and stick approach, right? But what they're saying here and what he is saying is not only do you have to have the biometric side of things, right? Not not only do they have the ability to get, I don't know, your DNA or your retina scan, which, by the way, is even more identifiable and more unique than your fingerprint, than this right here, okay? It is more unique than that. So the ultimate question becomes, do you want government to have control over your money, over your employment, over all of these things? Or are you going to stand up for your own freedom? And, and, and note that while this bill has some good in it, let's define our terms, let's be specific, and let's make sure that the American public gets to keep its freedom in the process. Again, I don't necessarily know what the answer is to how do you get around uh, faking up social security cards and what system is preferable to E-Verify. That's not my area of expertise, not my area of study. But what I do know from that area is that things that make us give the government unique identifying information, that's not good news, okay? That is not good news in any way, shape, or form because we know this from COVID-19. We know that they will use and abuse anything that they possibly can to control you, to control your businesses, to tell you whether you get to earn a living or not earn a living, how you get to do it, when you get to do it. Because they did it to you for two years. And maybe, maybe in the state of Iowa, maybe in South Dakota and a few other places, this wasn't true. But for those of us living in large population centers, this was a very real experience. So my spidey senses go up any time that my ability to earn a living and my ability to exercise freedom with my money are put together. My spidey senses go up and I say, yeah, no, get the hell out of the way. But Andrew, you've got nothing to lose if you're just an American citizen. I have everything to lose when the government has literally the ability to scan my retina now, 
It is why the people who have global, global, you know, TSA, global entry, you're an idiot. Let me, let me tell you that you are an absolute idiot. Oh, I get to, I get to skip the line. I've got global entry. I get to skip a line at the, at the airport. Uh, why? Oh, because you just gave the government your retina skin. That's real smart. Real smart. They, they, they couldn't possibly ever in a dystopian universe in which they want to shut down, um, you know, dissent or shut down miss or disinfo. Oh, wait. Or, or you were at January 6th and they're going to use not facial ID, but retina scan to prove that you were at the Capitol or you were somewhere here, there, or anywhere in between. They, they, they couldn't possibly want to use that for um, any sort of nefarious purposes in a bureaucracy that literally hates the American people. No, nah, they couldn't possibly do that. But Thomas Massey also finally points this out. Republicans are about to make a huge mistake. Biden forced millions of Americans to take vaccines by threatening their jobs and turning employers into enforcers. Imagine giving Biden the ultimate on-off switch for employment called E-Verify. Might as well call it V-Verify. He's right. That's my point. That's been my point this entire time. Putting the power of employment in the hands of unelected bureaucrats is so dangerous. They just learned in the COVID-19 era what you are willing to put up with, what you are willing to allow the government to get away with on a massive scale. And guess what? By and large, you're going to let them get away with whatever the hell they want to, as long as they couch it under the terms of safety and protection. So yeah, I think this is absolutely true that National E-Verify should be stopped until this legislation is fixed. Until we actually know exactly what the things are that they want to do, and then we can further the debate from there. Define your terms, Congress. That's your freaking job. Start doing it. Stop giving it over to the administrative, unelected, bureaucratic state and do your job. All right. With that being said, we've got Pat's final truth or fiction, which is ironically or not ironically related to government agencies. Truth or fiction, the TSA should be disbanded. Truth or fiction, the TSA should be disbanded. Uh, folks, this one is really easy for me. Yes, yes, it should. <coughs> it's incompetent. It's terrible. And I feel bad for the people that work in TSA because it is a thankless job. There's no question about that. But I, I just, I, this as a level of government is insane for me. I, I just, yeah, no, it's going to be a hard pass for me. Um, now the question is, well, what do you replace it with? And I have this question. Just because you've done something some way in the past or that this is the structure that has existed in the past doesn't mean that this is the structure that it that should exist going forward. Have we stopped to think about that? Have we stopped to think about how we do travel in the United States of America? 
have we stopped to think about how do we effectively yet efficiently uh, deal with security and safety? And no, no, we really haven't. But this is part and parcel of why I hate the Patriot Act. The TSA was a creation of the Patriot Act, folks, in response to 9-11, which, yeah, that was a problem of hijackers and, and all that sort of stuff. But is there a way in which we can efficiently, effectively, and most importantly, look at liberty and freedom of the people of America and create a system that allows for us to to have not at all, because that's not possible, but have most of it. I think it is time for us to have that conversation. However, I mean, we can't even have very basic conversations. We can't even, we, you know, we have the, the gaslighting from KGP, right? Corinne Jean-Pierre gaslighting us about uh, in lecturing Congress about paying its bills. Are you kidding me with that? Are you kidding me we can't even figure that out so i have no hope for this but with that being said folks tomorrow will be a wtf wednesday here on the program so please join me for that and until then please be smart be safe be kind make sure to eat all of your meals today and as always matthew 547 Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.